CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, you're about to listen to the new episode of the Josh Marshall Podcast with Kate Riga. Just wanted to tell you one quick thing. We had some minor audio difficulties when we were recording this episode. Just a touch of scratchiness occasionally. Uh, when you listen to Kate's voice, we know it. We heard it. Uh, we apologize for it. Just wanted to tell you ahead of time. Uh, it's there. We'll have uh, ironed out by the next episode. Probably aren't going to notice it too much, but just to let you know in advance, a little issue there. We apologize. We'll have it ironed out by next episode. This is the Josh Marshall Podcast with Kate Riga. We've got a number of issues we're going to talk about today. The, the one we're going to start off with is the 14th Amendment. Uh, and the 14th Amendment, it's a, it's a big amendment. It's a big issue. But in, in our current political moment, when we talk about the 14th Amendment, we are really looking at this, at this piece of language that disqualifies uh, rebels and insurrectionists from uh, serving uh, in offices under the United States government. As we know, this was originally put there to uh, give the national government some control. So we have this issue that it was part of the aftermath of the Civil War to prevent uh, Confederates from basically trying to retake the federal government through uh you know, electoral means after they had lost the war, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, it is newly relevant in regards to what happened on January 6th, 2021. And there there was this case in New Mexico where a local official actually was barred from office over his participation. But the question now is, can Donald Trump be removed from the ballot because he participated in, fomented, directed an insurrection against uh, the American Republic. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, a number of other issues too. actually do bear on different parts of the 14th Amendment. We have this Alabama redistricting case where it's funny. I was talking with one of our colleagues uh, this morning trying to I was trying to get my head around how much does this have to do with the Shelby County decision? And it's it's sort of a an oddly complex question because there's a lot of different moving parts. Anyway, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about yet another issue in the state of Wisconsin, where, as, as you know, we've had this kind of standoff in Wisconsin politics for the last decade, really. And uh, the big question is, are the Republicans going to be able to keep uh, operating behind the 
gerrymander that they put in place, the state legislative gerrymander that they put in place back in uh, 2010, 2011, which takes what is a 50-50 state, you know, every election, well, (laughs) until recently, every election in Wisconsin, basically a 50-50 election. And yet, Republicans consistently get super majorities in the state legislature. All right. So we're going to talk about all that. Um, But to start with, uh, Kate and our colleague Josh Kavinsky have been looking at this 14th Amendment question. And we've decided to dedicate some significant uh, institutional resources in covering it and getting to the bottom of it. And I've, I've spoken to a few of you over the last couple of weeks, a few of you listeners and readers about this. And uh, I thought one thing I would mention just at the outset, there's a difference between covering a story and you know, having some editorial advocacy uh, behind one of the outcomes. And one of the things we're going to talk about in today's episode is Kate and I are going to kind of look at like, what's the story with this 14th Amendment stuff? Does it make sense? And there's a lot of different uh, metrics, a lot of different standards that one can mean that. There's what does it does it make sense in terms of the you know the 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 text of the the constitutional text? Does it make sense in terms of kind of where we are in 2023? Is it actually going to affect everything? So we're going to talk about all those things. Kate, why don't you, why don't we get started with your giving us a kind of a rundown? We had a number of pieces you guys published over the long holiday weekend. Where does this story stand as a news story? What's going on? Who's pushing it? What states is it most operative? So on. So actually, moments before we started recording, um, we got kind of the opening salvo here. Uh, One of the big good government groups behind this filed a lawsuit in state court in Colorado, uh, making this argument that Trump is disqualified from appearing on the ballot there. Um, And so when Josh and I kind of did this series of stories, we started we talked to the the two groups behind the effort, which are crew and free speech for people. They're kind of spearheading the litigation piece. They're the ones that are crafting the lawsuits. Um, and so we got, you know, kind of down deep granular with their plans. And then we expanded out our coverage to, okay, what of the election officials who are the ones who are going to make this call or be in the position to make this call? You know, what have they said about it? And the the even kind of zoomed out picture of, is this liberal wish casting? You know, is this just kind of um, a a gambit that people would only believe who are just like, you know, rightfully, but just thoroughly frightened by the prospect of another Trump presidency and are looking for like this one weird trick to keep Trump <laughs> from the Oval Office. This is sort of um, the platinum coin of exactly of right 2024 elections. And I have to say, that's kind of how I came into it. Like, I felt like I was very much on the more skeptical end of our TPM colleagues. It felt to me a little bit, it's just totally different, but kind of like how some anti-abortion people are trying to revive the Comstock Act, this like 18th century anti-vice law to say that it prohibits the mailing of abortion pills. Like there was almost something of that to me, which is it feels like people were combing the pages of, you know, of the Constitution, everything else to try to find some kind of way that Trump is prohibited from serving. Like it had that air to me of 
there's this this thing that we we haven't really used and now but now it's perfect right like now it unquestioningly kind of fits the situation and springs back into light and then also the other piece of my skepticism um and which i do like honestly continue to be troubled by is the the anti-democracy of it all i mean trump no matter if you you know like him or think he's a massive threat to democracy, he's crushing everyone else in the Republican primary polls. You know, I do think a piece of this is should these challenges succeed, it would undermine the will of an awful lot of Republican voters who want him to represent them. So there's my those are my kind of, you know, reigning on the parade skepticism, some of which I still have to varying degrees. But, you know, as we got into this, you do, as you alluded to within the New Mexico case, this isn't really springing out of nowhere. There were a series of cases on this after January 6th, the difference being they were targeted at, you know, mostly members of the House and then a stray kind of a candidate for um, Secretary of State's office and not the president. But we do have like a, a kind of a small data set of how these cases have gone so far. And like you say, in New Mexico, that was Coy Griffin, who is um, who was a county commissioner and actually holding office when this was playing out. And he was ultimately booted from office and barred from holding another one after he was convicted for being part of the January 6th mob. And now the judge in that case was very careful to say, you know, a criminal conviction is not necessary to prove disqualification. Um, He didn't commit any like violence against the police officers. He said that wasn't necessary either. And that's kind of the big shining case on a hill for these groups. You know, they're a cruise um, head litigation guy. I was talking to him and he was like, so what, you know, a foot soldier is disqualified for this, but Trump, who's arguably the most responsible for all of it, gets off scot-free. So the more I dug into it, the more I did feel like it was a little bit less wish casting the the arguments seem really solid it's funny that almost the the thing that makes it less least likely to happen is this thing that we keep running into in the Trump era which is people being like well that's unprecedented but calling the thing the reaction to Trump's unprecedented stuff that's the unprecedented thing that causes a lot of you know bedwetting and in some cases for good reason because you don't there is a concern about like norm breaking and we've seen the damage that happens when we do that but in this case and what these groups kind of say when i brought up the you know undermining the will of the republican voters or the you know the one weird trick to keep trump from the presidency is they said you know he brought it upon himself. Like he's the one who kind of led this insurrection against the country. And the constitution is clear. You have to be 35. You have to have lived in the United States for at least 14 years. And you can't lead an insurrection against the constitution. And they argue that's a pretty low bar. No one's complained about it before. But now here we are. Yeah. Um, you know, my it's funny. I have a, a, a post about this that I, I haven't published yet. I started writing a few days ago and I just set it aside and haven't gotten back to it. I may I may publish it sometime today, Wednesday, September 6th. Um, my feeling about this is one of a certain uh, uh, disinterest, and I mean that in the in the original, not the kind of the the, the newer meaning of that of that term. Uh, to me, you know, one basic issue that I think everybody who looks at this uh, realizes, thinks about is that you could totally imagine um, Trump being removed from the ballot in, you know, 
Vermont, uh, Massachusetts, California, Hawaii, you know, states that he was never going to uh, be remotely competitive in. So it it achieves a certain uh, a certain, um, you know, emotive satisfaction, uh, a very, a very reasonable emotive satisfaction for uh, for some people for, you know, kind of diehard anti-Trump people, but it doesn't change anything, right? Doesn't make him any less likely to be elected or not elected or whatever. Um, it's certainly not going to happen in like Alabama, right? That's obvious. Uh, and where, where things start to get a little more tricky is in, you know, what the half dozen current list of swing of what we call swing states, which, you know, now no longer includes states like Iowa and Ohio. It newly includes, and, and Florida probably, uh, it newly includes Georgia and Arizona, so on and so forth. Okay. So, you know, if you, let's say, let's take the hypothetical that Michigan removes him from the ballot. Now, I think Biden's going to win Michigan, but if you, taking taking Michigan out of the list of possible you know, possible places for Trump, that tightens it for him. Now he's, you know what, he's got to win, I guess, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, uh, Georgia, Arizona. So then it gets a little more, that gets a little more serious, right? Um, so, but now let's look at that, is unquestionably, if that happens in the state of Michigan, that's going to be appealed to the federal Supreme Court. No question. I don't see anybody can can doubt that. It's going to be appealed to the federal Supreme Court. And we know that this Supreme Court will do anything that is at all plausible to advance the electoral interests of the Republican Party, even to the point of making you know, <laughs> very, very iffy uh, uh, decisions. Seems to me there are pretty good arguments that that uh, Trump or people who wanted, you know, did not want this to happen can make before the Supreme Court. So they're not going to have to stretch. They're not going to have to make a crazy ruling. Um, the ones that come to mind to me are, first of all, who says it's an insurrection? Like what is what makes it an insurrection? You can you can say, look, he tried to stay and he he tried to you know fiddle with the exalt, uh, results of the election. He tried to stay in office when he lost. He you know you could even sort of accept the arguments that Jack Smith is making in his January sixth indictments. You can say, hey, I I. Hundred percent. He did all those things. Is that an insurrection or rebellion by the text of the Fourteenth Amendment? These people knew what an insurrection or rebellion was was about. It was an entire war where a whole part of the country rose up and got in a in a four year shooting war. That that this is not an insurrection by any you know logical construction of what those people meant by those words. That's not a terrible argument. It's not a terrible argument. 
Okay. Um, you can make us. You could make a, a sort of a subsidiary argument. Um, uh, you know, look, this was this was clearly about the Civil War. It was about that. It was it was kind of just for that. It wasn't about other things that you might decide to call an insurrection. You know, and or then you and then I would, if I was making this argument, I would say like, look, we have a we have an independent counsel or special prosecutor. That person has brought charges. The closest set of charges that would get you into this insurrection rebellion category would be seditious conspiracy. What those Proud Boy guys are now going to do serious time, unless Trump gets elected and pardons them in, in a year and a half or whatever. Um, Jack Smith decided not to bring seditious conspiracy charges against Trump, at least not yet. So we have a fact finder out there who could, you know, had a choice to bring charges that are something like insurrection and declined to do it. And again, this isn't my argument. I'm, I'm just trying to say what I think plausible arguments that that side could make. And then I think the biggest argument you make on top of those is that in, and it's the one that Republicans never want to follow, but I'm sure this, the court would, would see the light in this case, is when you have election cases where it could go either way, we should all always lean in the direction of allowing citizens, eligible citizens to vote and giving them the options that they want, right? When the law is, when the law is you can kind of go either way, you should do this. So my, my point here is, is that uh, the Supreme Court would not have to stretch to just say, no, you can't do that. So it seems to me that you have the Supreme Court backstopping this for the Republicans, that uh, just as simple as that. And, and, and so, you know, you're not going to, it's not going to turn, it's not going to turn the election. Um, having said that, there's a lot of, there's a lot, I've seen a lot of Democrats saying, hey, this seeds the moral high ground to Trump, you know, democratic rights, the will of voters, blah, 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 blah. Um, this will get them super mad. They'll be, they'll be, uh, you know, barring anybody who ever said anything nice about BLM from the ballot in 2028, you know, kind of anticipating what the other side will do and kind of like, but to that point, I kind of go to what it sounds like the crew lawyers were saying, like Donald Trump brought this on himself by trying to overthrow the government. So like, am I going to like waste a lot of time kind of like, um, you know, tone policing other Democrats and other anti-Trump people, but oh, don't do that. It'll get super bad. Also, like we have been through this knee jerk kind of leftist uh, reaction to always be like, well, if we do this, Republicans will do that and we won't like it. And that applies to everything from like the filibuster to, you know, like passing robust laws. This infects every level of our government. Um, you know, the idea that you can't like 
say anything about you know police reform or they'll say that you're you want to um abolish the police blah 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 it's like we've been through this so many times for the millionth time like they're gonna say it anyway whether it's grounded in truth or not so like don't live your life in a defensive political crouch but also in this specific case the whole and and, you know i saw this come up a bit like if they do this to trump you know every democrat who tries to run is gonna get smacked with this like insurrection disqualification and it's like okay come on we're sitting here like talking about the improbability that Trump will be taken out by this. And like he did do the insurrection. It was in public. We saw it like whether or not it meets the kind of specific standard of insurrection we're talking about here is a different matter. But like he obviously did this. So and we'll probably not go down for it. Right. So this idea that like, well, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to say that Joe Biden did an insurrection. Like, yeah, she probably will. And it won't go anywhere. Like, you don't have to worry about every single thing that these like gadflies are going to do. You know, it's just it's so self-defeating. And especially in this situation where, you know, as you said, I kind of exited the shoot at the same place you did, which was like, the Supreme Court is inevitably going to be involved here because as soon as one state, even if it's, you know, Hawaii or whatever, like disqualifies him from the ballot, that's going to get up to the Supreme Court. And this is the kind of case that the Supreme Court should take, you know. Um, And, you know, I got to this point in all my interviews, you know, kind of going over the philosophical piece and the democracy piece and the logistical piece and then ended up here. And I'm like, okay, well, what about when this gets to the Supreme Court? Like what possible glimmer of hope is there that they won't reflexively come down on Trump's side, you know? And then you would get the kind of like, well, I don't know if this will break along the same partisan lines that we're accustomed to seeing. You know, this is a a real constitutional question that they're going to want to get right. And it's like, I I kind of understand that if you're leading the push behind this, you're not going to say like, oh yeah, no chance we win at the Supreme Court. This is really just kind of an exercise for the sake of doing it, right? Even though I do think there is a piece of that. And that came up like they kind of told me that their filing strategy is a lot about where they're going to be able to kind of put on a full trial with evidence and and that there's value in and of that which I think you know fine go ahead um there probably is to some degree even though it you know, that brings us back to the question of who is movable on Donald Trump. But, you know, anyway, kind of rehashing January 6th during the election cycle is something that I think Democrats would like welcome in any forum. But it just it does seem like maybe it's worth doing anyway. Maybe it's worth pushing the argument, which you and I both think has like merit to it, it, even though there are, I think, pretty good faith disagreements as well. But it is hard to see practically how you're going to come out with a result of like Trump being disqualified in Texas or something and that standing. Right. Yeah. And, and th- this is kind of, this is sort of where I am. Um, look, we went almost 250 years without a, without anybody challenging the orderly transfer of power with violence or fraud or subterfuge. And now it happened. And that is a big fucking deal. And Donald Trump did it. Um, And I think it is, there's a good question whether, you know, whether it fits um, that 14th Amendment language, but there's a really good argument that it does. And a lot of things, uh, you know, (laughs) there are, there are pretty few things in the Constitution where you point to a piece of text and you say, yeah, 
They totally had this thing we're talking about today, 250 years later in mind. <laughs> if you really want to apply that standard, nothing fits because nothing, you know, they didn't have electricity. Not that, that ever they, stops conservatives. Y- yeah, on the yeah. Court. So, and, and, you know, and, 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 and firearms were these little kind of janky things that were pretty difficult to, that can't be the standard. At some level, you have to, um, you have to go back and say, First of all, let's look at the language, right? Because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, with this kind of crazy platinum coin, blah, 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 blah. But like, it's right there. If, you know, people who are involved in plotting an insurrection against the government, you can't serve in anything, basically, unless you get like, you know, uh, you get pardoned, basically, kind of, but that I think you need, what is it, two thirds uh, a two-thirds uh, 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 vote in in in, um, in 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 Congress. So you can't just wave this off. You can't just say, "Oh, come on." That's like you know, which in some ways I am saying, "Oh, that's just liberal wish casting." Blah 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 blah. Because it's right there, and like you know, so many things in the Constitution, we sort of say, "Well, if you look at this and you look at that, it kind of speaks to some larger reality." And blah 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 blah. But I mean, this is right there, right there, and. They, um, I think even then, everybody knows the Constitution's for good, right? It could apply to things in the future. So, um, I, and, and with what you said about, you know, when you talk to the lawyers pushing this, um, what they say when you say, you know, look, obviously the Supreme Court's going to shut you down, so what's the point? I think at one level, there is something with lawyers in general, but certainly kind of constitutional lawyers. It's very hard if you invest your professional life in reasoning about the Constitution, making arguments about the Constitution, and at some basic level, treating it as a real thing in which arguments and facts and all of this and precedent, all of that matters. It's very hard for people who operate in that world to accept, well, yeah, all that stuff, but uh, there's this guy Kavanaugh, and he's just kind of a rubber stamp for whatever is good for the GOP, and that's the end of it. You, you know what I'm saying? You just can't, you just can't get there because it sort of it 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 just sort of invalidates everything you're everything you're doing. Um, at the same time, I it also doesn't make sense that we should just say, all right, we're not going to make valid constitutional arguments because of Trump and Mitch McConnell stacked the Supreme Court. So we're just going to sit it out for 35 years and see if something better. That, that can't be right. That, that's, that's, that, that can't be right as a, as a basic kind of moral ethical way of approaching the world. It also can't be right in, in, in even judicial ways. You know, uh, conservatives spent decades making arguments that had no traction, but building up a kind of a building up theories and arguments that their people made and and winning little bitty cases here and there until finally they they kind of hit the jackpot and and everything. So it's kind of what I that's kind of I, I wouldn't want people to get too wound up about this as kind of like, I got to get involved here because this is, you know, the country's at stake on this disqualification issue. 
when I don't think it is at stake because I think the Supreme Court's going to shut it down. I think that is that is just the case. Having said that, I know a lot of a lot of people I know are kind of like this is a trap. You're gonna again, you're gonna sort of lose the democratic, you know, small d democratic high ground. Um, you're going to, you know, you're actually going to have a situation where Republicans will say it was rigged. And they'll be right this time. You rigged it. You know, you kind of, you put your thumb on the scale and all this kind of stuff. Um, you know, I do have, I do have some basic small D democratic discomfort here. You know, people should get a shot at voting who they want to vote for. Um, but we have a constitution and it's right there. It's right there. And the people who put that amendment there, the 14th Amendment, which is in many ways the centerpiece, even though conservatives don't like to see it that way, the centerpiece of the modern American constitution, since virtually everything that we, that we do today with the constitution, the fact that it applies across American jurisprudence, that's all the 14th Amendment. You know, the Bill of Rights just used to be something that, that uh, applied to the relatively small federal government, blah, 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 blah. It's right there. And Donald Trump did it. So like I said, I'm not going to not going to get into sort of tone policing other anti-Trump people about what they want to spend their time doing. And is it would it be a bad thing to kind of get into a courtroom context and say, look, here's what he did. Okay. You know, it, to me, I just kind of see it as this is how this election is going to play out. And this is kind of inevitable after an election where one of the guys tried to overthrow the government because he didn't like losing an election. Right. I mean, it's kind of like thinking through the most likely way this is going to go. I think it's probably near certain that this will get to the Supreme Court because they're just going to cast such a wide net that there's like there's just no chance that no one, you know, whether it be a kind of a state judge or an election official somewhere that no one says that he's disqualified. Like you're at least going to get one person who says, yes, he is disqualified. And that's, you know, immediately going to bounce up to the Supreme Court. So in the kind of most likely course of events, this is going to go to the court. It would be really shocking if the court didn't say like, no, this, this doesn't work for whatever reason. You know, maybe they kind of regurgitate the argument that some the experts on this said is like kind of specious, but the idea that you need Congress to pass an enforcement mechanism to use the disqualification clause. And the people who kind of support this theory say, no, it's it's self-executing. You don't need them to pass a law, but whatever. Like they could either take kind of a weedy route like that or do what you said, like what is an insurrection and did he engage in it? You know, like whatever route they take and say they like, you know, push this down, say, nope, this is no good. And that's where we are. Like, I don't think that's bad. I don't think that's catastrophic. I think the whole, well, that will make Trump supporters think that everyone's out to get him is like, duh, that's his whole shtick. So yeah, it will as as has been true since, you know, he like lost the Iowa caucus or whatever and said it was rigged. Like, we don't have to be worried about that at that at this point. That's baked in. And I think the whole like, this will alienate, you know, like you said, the kind of like, people who are just on the side of democracy first of all is assuming those people are paying way more attention than they are honestly but also i think what you said is the heart of it to me which connects back to the first point i made here which is the whole it's unprecedented when you're like yeah but 
what Trump did is also unprecedented. And the default reaction can't be, well, we're not going to upset the apple cart. Well, you've got this guy like, you know, throwing apples left, right and sideways. And you're like, well, we're just going to pick them up. You know, we're going to not worry about uh, consequences for him or anything. We, we don't want to make any further divisions or any anger. Like that's weak. And that's just not kind of befitting the time. So, you know, I'm kind of of the camp now that's like whatever, you know, I definitely have personal reservations. I'm sure those reservations will kind of permeate all the proceedings. And meanwhile, it's like, you got to try, right? That's what we're always telling people on the left is like, you you at least have to try, even if it's kind of built in that you're going to lose. And these people in a earnest, good faith way, think that this is the right interpretation of the Constitution and that Trump has disqualified himself by his behavior. And I think putting that to test in, in courts is not a bad thing. I, I agree with that. And, and again, when I was making those arguments before, what's an insurrection? You know, they were thinking of civil war type things, you know, actual mm-hmm. military attacks on the, the federal government, on the federal union, et cetera. Those are my arguments. Right, I was yeah. making those as, you know, these are very plausible, real arguments that, that you make. Um, and to me, when I just like, if, if I think about, okay, I'm the judge. Right. Like I'm on the Supreme Court and this comes to me. I would I would be very interested in what the arguments are, because I'm not sure, because I, I, I it, that is the you know, the 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 point of. People, uh, people deserve to vote for who they want to vote for. Well, sure. But like Arnold Schwarzenegger can't run because he wasn't born in the United States. Right. And 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 uh, you couldn't run, Kate, because you're not old enough. Right. So that's not that's not th- that that's sort of a, a very powerful general principle that comes into the mix if it's a close call. But that doesn't end the question. And I'm honestly not sure I'd, I'd need to really uh, I'd really I, I would need to review. And I'm sure we will see this from the relevant lawyers. I need I would need to review the, you know, the legislative language. Um, and we know in general what this was about. You know, the, the after the end of the Civil War, the Confederates wanted to say, OK, cool, we're back. <laughs> you know, we're back when let's let's just rewind the clock to, uh, you know, 1860 and start off. And 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 the, uh, you know, the 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 union, the people who didn't who didn't rebel were saying, dude, no, <laughs> there's too much water under the bridge. We're not going back. And, uh, you know, the whole the whole the whole South was under military government for a number of years. There was even uh, as this was being debated and it's sort of an interesting historical what could have been. There were those in the in the North who basically said, you know, those states have ceased to exist in constitutional terms. Those states committed suicide. And so now we just have a bunch of territory similar to the territory out west and you know we'll just create some new states um and in a lot of ways that probably would have been a better idea um for a lot of reasons but in any case we know the historical reason that prompted them to do this and i it's a, it's an open question but to your point kate you know you, and this is something that i think we have hit on many times in many different contexts uh in different episodes of this podcast and on the site that you don't engage 
in big political fights by telling people who broadly you agree with, don't, don't, don't get too out of hand. Don't get too worked up about this. Don't go there. Don't go, don't, don't do this thing. Don't do that thing. Now, that doesn't mean be stupid, but you, you got to be, you know, you, you go into things to win, into bin, big political fights to win, and you are just not putting your real best foot, your real fight forward if you are kind of second guessing what you're doing because of what the other side may do because of what you did five years from now, 10 years from now, that's just stumbling over your own feet. So I think it's funny. I think we're kind of in a, in a you and I in a similar place on this. And, mm -hmm. and, to, and I think that's why it, it is worth, um, it is worth, and I think it's the right editorial decision we've made to really follow this because I think this is, it, I think it's going to be a real part of this election. Um, I think it is, it is rightly a real part of this election because there is at least a very good argument that what Donald Trump did is disqualifying for him being president again. Um, again, I'm not totally sure where I would come down if it were actually if it, if it were actually um, uh, up to me. And to the point where a lot of people kind of coming to this new kind of think, well, you know, Joe Biden's going to decide or the Supreme Court's going to decide, but that's not how our system works. It's going to, the Supreme Court might tell states they can't do it, but this is inevitably a state by state decision. Um, and it's going to, it's going to percolate up through, and that's just kind of the fullness of American democracy. And I think at the end of the day, that's fine. I also think in, in terms of your point on the editorial strategy, you know, two things, one of which so far, these groups, you know, in concert have brought like seven cases, if you kind of separate them by defendant, even though they did kind of the Arizona ones altogether. But, and one of those they won. I mean, that's not like the worst track record for this pretty, you know, not a novel legal argument, but novel in the in the modern era. Um so even if Trump is kind of like this white whale that for all the reasons we've said is hard to take down, that doesn't mean that this doesn't or this couldn't apply to kind of lower level officials and that that would be an easier case to make, especially while we're in an era where political violence seems pretty baked in, you know, as no, the right heads absolutely. more towards, um, well, you know, it's, authoritarianism. It's, it's interesting because this guy, Enrique Terrio, um, he was just sentenced to 22 years in federal prison yesterday. Um, I believe he's 39. So he would probably, if he if he behaves himself, he'd probably get in, he'd probably uh, get out of prison after 18 or 19 years, something like that. You can get time off for good behavior. There's no parole in the federal system. He gets out when he's 60. Can he run for president? Now, he has been convicted of a violent plot to overthrow the constitutional system i i i would be it would it would be it would be I, i'm not sure how you would argue it wouldn't apply to him right and uh now the fact that he was been convicted of of seditious conspiracy which again is sort of about as close as you get in the sort of the the you know the 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 laws that are out there that are kind of close to insurrection um that also tells you, though, okay, Trump was the was the ringleader 
of what he just got convicted on. So I do think you come back to a legal argument. The legal argument can't be can't be that weak if, again, just when I think about it on, on its face, I think he'd be ineligible. And the other thing, just to, just to remind everybody about convictions and stuff, none of these relevant uh, uh, Confederates were convicted of anything. <laughs> they were all, uh, I mean, it's complicated, but they didn't need to be convicted. Everybody knew what had happened. Right. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't, uh, they didn't, uh, and, and there, it's also, it didn't apply to everybody. It applied to people who had been in government, right. been in the United States government, sworn to the constitution and then forsook their, which in that sense, I guess, now that I think about it, that actually doesn't apply to Terry. And so I go for president. Yeah. Right. And re, yeah, he's, he's back in, <laughs> he's back in the mix, but you get, but you get the point that it is. And, and again, there's just a lot of things like this. And this is one of the reasons I think it is, it's worth pushing back against a blanket, knock it off. This is silly. This is liberal wish casting. It's right there in the Constitution. You just can't argue that away. And you can, uh, you know, at some level, the people like me who are kind of saying this really doesn't sit well from a kind of a, a, a democratic process argument, well, <laughs> you should have spoken to them in, in 1866 when they were first talking about this, right? I mean, it's, it's there and you just can't, you can't get around that. Yeah. Okay. So let's uh, talk about the couple other things that we want to talk about. We'll, we'll swing down to Alabama um, where there's been some, some pretty big redistricting news the past few days. Our listeners will remember it was about three months ago that the Supreme Court knocked down Al- Alabama's map as a, you know, an unconstitutional gerrymander under the Voting Rights Act. And that was a huge deal at the time. Like nobody, nobody to varying degrees of involvement expected that ruling to come out. It helped kind of preserve what's left of the VRA, which is shocking in and of itself coming from the Roberts court, which has been its biggest enemy for, um, you know, the past few years. Um, And when they handed that down, the Alabama legislature was basically you know, go back to the drawing board. Um, You have a really sizable part of the population are black voters, but they only comprise a majority in one district. So you either need to make another black majority congressional district or at the least give them, they call them opportunity districts. Like, so black voters would have the opportunity to elect the candidate of their choice without being, you know, just like washed out by the will of white voters. Alabama goes back to its drawing board, produces another map with only one black majority district. The governor signs off on it and it says, here you go, court, federal panel of three judges. Here, here's our attempt. And then the judges came back and were like, uh, no, uh, this is actually exactly not what we told you to do. And they do in the, in the classic kind of judgy way, put in you know, we are extremely troubled by the Alabama legislature's like refusal to do what we said. We can think of no other instances where a legislature has just been like, yeah, we'll take your second congressional district and go stuff it. We're going to just do this again. And so that happened um, 
Tuesday, yesterday, that the the three judge federal panel and, you know, for just a reminder for our listeners, redistricting cases have an odd structure that other cases don't have. They go before this three judge federal panel and then review goes immediately to the Supreme Court. Um, so the panel says, no, we're not accepting this map and you can't be trusted to do what we're telling you to do. So we're appointing a special master and a cartographer. They're going to come up with three of them. They'll present them. Inevitably, the state will object. We'll have an, another hearing on the objections and, and pick one of those and kind of go forward. Okay. So after this ruling comes down, Alabama's like, no, we're going to appeal that decision and go back to the Supreme Court where we were three months ago, where they knocked down our map that for the kind of most important reason is very similar to this new one we have and ask them to uh, let us use let us use this map that is, um, you know, so so strikingly similar to the one they just knocked down. And I guess the game plan question mark seems to be that like maybe the tweak will be enough to peel off one of the conservatives or listeners will remember this decision was like super fractured but the kind of crux of it was the liberals plus roberts plus kavanaugh versus everybody else but i think even more strikingly than kind of the attitude towards the supreme court here which is such one of like we're on the same team, guys. Did you forget? Like, we're working towards the same ends here. So we'll give you another chance to remember who your friends are, which is definitely present. There's also that piece of like, Republicans in super red states where they have, you know, a one party state for all intents and purposes, just have a complete refusal to abide by any, you know, whether it be like, orders or as we'll get to in Wisconsin, elections that at all dilute their power. And here we're talking about giving, you know, giving Democrats a shot at two seats in Alabama instead of one. It's not like it's going to meaningfully kind of remake the delegation. It's still in perpetuity going to be dominated by Republicans. But just this like little thing of no, you have to kind of listen to your voters, even the ones who don't support you. And they're just like, no. Absolutely not. Like, why would we ever do that? This is our kingdom. This We control it here. Like, who cares about the minority? Are they in the majority? I think not. So we're just going to keep doing what we want to do and, you know, kind of run out and go get our big brother, e.g. the Supreme Court, tell you to stop being mean to us here in our home turf. Yeah, there's so many different layers of this, because as you said a moment ago, it was shocking when this Supreme Court decision came down, because John Roberts has made it clear he just doesn't think the Voting Rights Act should exist at all. He hasn't literally tried to rule that about every part of it, um, but he's knocked down a lot of it. And his argument there is pretty straightforward, kind of like this is this is archaic it, you know, this is like he's basically saying, sure, in in eight in 1965, when we're kind of getting rid of 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 legalized segregation, you needed something like this. But that's ages ago. You don't need this anymore. Done. And they've basically made the argument, um, you you know legislatures make maps and that's the political process and that's just what it is and don't come in here telling me how uh black voters didn't get a good shake or 
or whatever. Just that's it. There's there's no limits, basically. And that's why it was so shocking when they came back with this, because they did find a limit that that, okay, this map is this is too this is too too beyond the pale. Kind of like it's and it's a very interesting thing because they had already made basically a conceptual decision. We're just going to leave this to the democratic process and kind of we're not going to we're not going to review that because racism in that old sense just doesn't exist anymore and that's it. But Alabama uh, sort of um, screwed it up for everybody or everybody who is against voting rights by coming in with something so egregious that that the court that Roberts had to come back and say, OK, well that's that's too much and it's funny because i was talking to one of our colleagues this morning about about uh shelby county decision and you know this is sort of an example of in 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 a certain way this is all downstream of that decision getting rid of pre-clearance because one of the things in addition to all of the in addition to all of the uh, legal and uh, jurisprudential questions that we're talking about here about voting rights and and gerrymandering and so forth. The under the post preclearance system, you basically get a mulligan election. Like you can come up with anything, and you get at least one election with it, right? And and so the the uh, um, the 2022 election was carried out on the basis of this map. And no one's talking, I mean, obviously you can't go back. You're not going to expel the existing delegation. So basically everybody everybody gets a shot, at least one election of, of, of with an unacceptable map. And that's that's a whole um uh, that is that's a whole issue in itself. But you know, to your point, this really you have the conflict between those single party red state rules kind of what you've seen what you're seeing in Tennessee right where they kicked out those those tried to kick out three kicked out those two african american uh uh members of the state house we know that whole story that whole kind of thing like we run the shot as you're saying we're in charge here we don't care what you say and that kind of that bumping into the fact that there still is a supreme court even if it's one that basically supports those guys almost always. And this is, you know, the term massive resistance has a pretty ugly history in uh, in the South, in the history of the civil rights movement. But that kind of is what they're doing here. They basically said, you can't do this. And the, and the state of Alabama came back and said, you know what? How about fuck you? We're going to send you, we're going to like disrespect you to the point of sending you back in practice the identical map. Um, and and even to your point, even now, they're not even, they're even appealing. It, th- that's why the, the, that panel is, was so sort of incredulous. Like, wait a second, we told you, you or actually the Supreme Court based on our original thing, told you, you can't do this. What are you, you know, <laughs> you, listen, you listen to what courts say. Right. Um, and even it, it's a it's a I, I tend to think they must think that that they're going to shake something free um, on the Supreme Court. But given those two people, how the particular what we know about how um, Roberts and Kavanaugh operate, what they're sort of, you know, 
what their hot buttons are, what kind of set of equities they bring before these things. I don't see those two guys saying like, oh, yeah, you kind of got it a little. We're gonna." I, I, I think those two are very focused on don't fuck with us. Right. We're the fucking Supreme Court. So what the hell do you think you're doing here? As we've talked about with both of them before, it's the, it's that sense of like, I'm a big, important person. This was my decision. And now you're coming up here to try to make me look stupid in front of everyone because I didn't carry water enough for you last time, even though I have in nearly every decision. You know, I think they have this thing where like they're obviously very partisan actors, but they really bristle against the perception that they are. So it's like, you know, I I made my decision. I'm an impartial arbiter. And like, you don't get to question it. You know, I just, I can't see this like sitting well with them because they would look so stupid. It was three months ago. And in in this case, it's also not like the difference between a Biden or a Trump presidency or something. Like it's relatively small potatoes. I mean, it's big potatoes in terms of democracy, but in terms of kind of helping out the party. And for African-American voters in that state, it's a a huge deal. And and in a broader sense for all voters in that state. But I think our point here is is just that on a national stage, you're talking about about another uh, African-American rec- representative and all likelihood another Democratic representative. It's just not that big a deal for the equities that those guys, I think, care about. Exactly. This, yeah. And, and, it's, and it's also not like there was nothing in those decisions that was, con- that was like a Kavanaugh saying, man, I wish I could give this to you. But you just, just, you just didn't get it quite close enough to, to that. I, it just wasn't, it was, it was, there was even, there was even something there in those decisions, which I think you just alluded to, of them liking an opportunity saying, hey, we're not the scoundrels. Everybody paints us out to be. Right. We're total, we're calling balls and strikes here. And you, that was way outside the strike zone. So I'm sorry. You got to try again. Yeah. Kavanaugh is kind of like bone to the gerrymanderers in that case was his thing of, you know, the VRA is, is not going to work in this way forever. There's got to be a limit, blah, blah, blah. But I doubt the limit he had in mind was two and a half months after they handed down the decision. But, you know, another an interesting thing about this is it has so much, so many echoes of what's going on in, well, what's done basically in Ohio, which was kind of similar in that they set up an independent redistricting commission to try to kind of reform in the state and just, you know, they would kind of deadlock, it would go to the courts, the Supreme Court would tell them, you know, redraw, you can't use this map. And they would just, they just ignored them. They just wouldn't do it. There were like multiple court orders that the legislature was like, hmm, no, like, thanks for the input, but I think not. And ended up just kind of waiting it out to the point that they got a more conservative Supreme Court in 2022 and now don't have to worry about it anymore because there's like no chance that this court will tell them their maps are bad. But it is, you know, and we can kind of segue into Wisconsin with this, but kind of part of the reason we want to talk about these stories is that they're so emblematic of this thing that's becoming more and more common and more and more pernicious on the right, which is any kind of infringement of democracy into these single party states is just met with complete Trumpian refusal to do what, you know, the courts or the voters are telling them to do. And as we're starting to see now in in a few cases, there's somewhat something of a worrying just lack of enforcement mechanism. It turns out that if you just kind of ignore the courts like they did in Ohio, it just kind of ended with the 
judges being really angry, but so what? You know, yeah. Ohio got to conduct its elections under their gerrymandered maps. They're going to have to kind of redraw the maps a little sooner than than they would have under the redistricting independent commission agreement. But in a state that's only trending more red, redistricting sooner than la- sooner rather than later is not like a bummer to them. That's only going to kind of help them. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, I think there, there's just before we go to Wisconsin, there, there, there's one sort of general issue here that the reason Roberts types and sort of everyone who is in that faction of American politics, and I say politics, uh, wants to get rid of preclearances, stuff about, you know, voter ID and all the different, all the different moving parts of election administration and the ways that you can, just all that stuff. And they don't want to those folks don't want Alabama, you know, one of the sort of the, the one of the ground zeros of the Confederacy um, to come in and say, hey, let's make us the poster boy of your movement by taking a state that has a huge African-American population and drawing these maps. So functionally speaking, they're all kind of pulled into one district, not literally all the African-American, but, you know, in practice that that, that just kind of leaves them exposed and they want. They want just to get rid of all of that. And and again, there's so many other fish to fry and and they don't want that to all be uh, endangered by what is in many ways still a pretty unreconstructed state to come in and, and, and you know, kind of come in and make it all about them. And right. that's one of the many reasons why I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure they're going to get smack down because again there's just so many other fish to fry that they're that everybody's frying with the with the end of uh preclearance that why lose it on the basis of that it's also another episode where the republicans just like couldn't restrain themselves from going full maximal gerrymander in a way that if they had been like an iota more chill, they probably would have avoided this. Like that, another story uh, that we wrote up yesterday was that the Florida map um, got knocked down by a kind of like a preliminary state judge. And that was interesting because that was the DeSantis map. The Republicans in the Florida legislature had crafted, you know, it was still a gerrymander, but a milder one. And it preserved this fifth congressional district, which had been recrafted in 2015 to give black voters in the state, um, you know, more of a chance to an elect an official. And for most of the time since then, that seat had been held by this guy, Al Lawson, who was a, a black Democrat. Um, until last year, DeSantis puts out his map, which dismantles the fifth district completely and is one of the most aggressive gerrymanders in the state. And even the Republicans in the Florida legislature were like, dude, just like leave the fifth district alone. You know, we're netting ourselves all these other seats, um, you know, like give the black voters one bite at the apple, you know, and not just because they were, you know, not because they were like being good people, but because they kept saying, we're going to, you know, the courts aren't going to let this stand. Like we're required under the Florida constitution. They have this, a non-diminishment clause where you can't kind of take a stronghold of minority voters and just scatter it to the winds. Um, and, you know, they they kept fighting with them. It was a, a rare kind of bipartisan 
moment between Democrats and Republicans in the legislature. And DeSantis was like, no, no, fuck that. We're going to use my map. You send me all the maps you want. I will continue to veto them, which he did. And then ultimately, Republicans were just like, "Okay, fine, we'll just rubber stamp what you want. Pass the DeSantis map. Sure enough, now the courts are like, well, you can't dismantle the 5th Congressional District. So here we are. You know, it is this the theme, just like Republicans kind of refuse to make any kind of edits uh, to to their strong man hold. So yeah, it's it's this combination of thing of refusing to obey any kind of orders when they would infringe on this the single party kind of monopoly, and then also just you know not not altering your behavior at all to kind of avoid those orders, like running headlong into them, and then when you get the adverse reaction, be like, well, tough, like this is this is our kingdom, so we're gonna just do what we want. And that was clearly just that's. In, on both levels, I think part of DeSantis's presidential campaign. Totally. That he's the sort of the the tough guy who's going to, it's almost like, you know, the cry more um, gerrymander, right? To kind of just stick it to him because he's not, he's not a rhino. He's is all that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, in some ways jokes on him, I guess, but there you go. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to end with Wisconsin, which, you know, we covered in depth back during the election where Janet Protasewicz was um, running this unusually candid campaign where she was kind of, you know, she described now famously um, the gerrymander in Wisconsin being quote unquote rigged, which caused, um, caused, you know, kind of heart attacks across the Republican Party, even though it's objectively obviously true. Um, and she made abortion a central part of her run. And we talked about it at the time that it's not like other kind of the kind of judges who have to run for election. It's not like they don't do this stuff. It's just that they usually signify whose team they're on in a bit of a more subtle way. You know, they'll say like, this goes back to the old days of like, you know, during during Clarence Thomas or Alito's confirmation hearings where they were like, you know, Rose settled law. That's that's all I'm going to say about it. And then, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, like, you know, you know how I'm going to come down on this ultimately. And she was just like a little bit more explicit and that kind of stuff. And ever since she got elected, Wisconsin Republicans have been furious because it balanced the court in favor of liberals for the first time in a really long time in Wisconsin. And that opens the floodgates to all kinds of possible changes, including unwinding a gerrymander that has, as you said in the opening, made Wisconsin a red state in all but its voting population for, you know, quite a long time. Um, So now... They're kind of doing the whole spaghetti at the wall thing. They're filing all these complaints with, you know, this judicial advisory board that's that fields those kind of things. All these recusal requests that she shouldn't vote on the redistricting cases, which would conveniently leave, you know, a, a split court in her absence. Um the news on that this week is that that panel dismissed a bunch of these complaints. You know, they investigated it. They looked into it. She is now she asked the lawyers involved in a redistricting case that was filed like immediately after she won to kind of do the advisory supplemental briefings about her recusal and whether it's you know necessary in light of this this board kind of turning back the complaints. Um, so this is one of those cases where like as soon as she was elected, Wisconsin Republicans were like, now nah, we're going to impeach her. <laughs> we can't let this stand. Like will of the people, schmill of the people, right? Like this is running counter to our interests. And now I think we're at an interesting crossroads in that story where 
if she recuses herself from the redistricting cases, it's kind of, at least for me, it just make me kind of throw my hands up because it's like, you don't have to play by their rules because their rules are not fair, right? Like their rules are crafted to make sure they win. And capitulating to that has nothing to do with whether or not you're an, an arbiter of balls and strikes. Like I think if anything, the Supreme Court has given us is at least a, a renewed understanding of the partisan nature of every judge, no matter like how neutral they claim to be um, or try to be. So anyway, that's like the crossroads we're at there. What, what do you think about? Well, I, you know, it, it, it would seem absurd to me if she made that decision. Um, you know, there's... I think inevitably what you have to take into account in, in this case is she won by, I think, 11 points. That's right. This was not close, a, not a close election at all. And, and, and by Wisconsin standards, which, again, despite being functionally a one-party Republican state, is actually a 50-50 state in, in terms of its actual partisan composition. Um, for Wisconsin, that's a landslide. And... She said what she thought about this, and the voters were very clear, and everybody was clear on what that election was about. Now, if there were if there were an issue of, um, you know, her brother, I have no idea if she has a brother, uh, ran for a gerrymandered state house seat and lost, then you could say, okay, she she's not. Uh, she, she's got a conflict here, right? She can't really speak to this case. But the only even argument for a conflict here is that she expressed an opinion, which is <laughs> everybody in that state has an opinion about this. And there is overwhelming evidence that that opinion is, is correct. So it, it is... It is stretching the bounds of what um, a, a, a conflict would even mean. What, what's what's the conflict? She she just spoke to the reality of the of of the situation. So th that's not a conflict. That, that's I mean, again, it it is. It's only a conflict in this kind of generated procedural sense that she maybe has an opinion and in some theoretical sense, she wouldn't come to the question having never thought about it before. Right. You know, that, that, that just, that just makes no sense. And, um, you know, there's the political system in Wisconsin is clogged up because the state government is so aggressively gerrymandered that even when the, the, state citizens elect a Democratic governor, there's fairly little the Democratic governor can do because they have super majorities. So they can, you know, there there's, so how do you, how do you, how do you undo that? How do you, how do you, how does, how is that self-correcting in a democratic sense? Well, not, probably not from redistricting since the same gerrymandered crew will just perpetuate the same gerrymander, right? They're, they're going to write the new map. So the only way out of this is the state Supreme Court. So you had an election where voters had put before them very clearly 
do you want to take the uh, state Supreme Court out of Republican hands, both for abortion, but also because of this, you know, uh, stranglehold that these gerrymandered uh, uh, state, you know, state legislature has. And, and the and the verdict was clear. So, you know, I, to your point, it's sort of it's very in character for, you know, current Republicans just say, OK, well, I look here in the state constitution, we can impeach her. Because we have so many because of the gerrymander, right? And like, yeah, they can. But at a certain point, um, they're just foreclosing every, you know, you, you have a kind of a fundamental breakdown. It's, it's literally dangerous if you, if you prevent a state's electorate from, from doing anything, even with fairly over, overwhelming votes to, to, to get out of that situation. And I just, I just, I can't imagine, um, I, I don't know the specifics of her and, and, you know, the internal workings of, of, of that, uh, of, of that state to say with certainty, but she was elected to do this. And so it would just be, it would be shocking to me if she, if she went for this and, and it seems that this commission turning these things back, you know, maybe if they had said, oh, yes, there's an issue, then that would have been enough that she would have, oh, you know, but I, I, I just can't imagine. I mean, is she going to, she had an, she certainly had a position on abortion too. Is she going to recuse herself from that? Right. And it's funny because on the redistricting piece, it's not only that she had an opinion, it's that she said what is true. And it's not enough for Republicans to kind of win every election in that state by manipulating the map. They both want that and for nobody to talk about how they got it, to pretend that that was just a the outcome of, of a normally functioning democracy. So it's, it's not even enough to like, you can't criticize it. You can't say what's really going on. So you're left with just saying like, I don't know, I guess the Democrats in this state just really like voting for Republicans, you know, is that you have to lie to kind of like meet their standards. And I think as a sign of how just self-serving and pretty transparent these bids to, you know, impeach or, uh, you know, defang her or whatever are, is that part of the argument is that she took money from one of the kind of national democratic campaign organs. And not that those those groups are party to one of these cases, but they have long wanted more equitable maps in Wisconsin. And so that's a conflict of interest. And it's like, so you're telling me none of the Republicans on the state Supreme Court have taken a dime of national Republican money? I mean, it's ridiculous. It's just absurd. And it was something that they started talking about doing the night she got elected, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's, it, the thing is though, is that you have so many careers based Republican state legislative careers based on this, it seems entirely possible to me that they will impeach her. And if you think about it, it's not just, I mean, look, as we've said, it's a 50-50 state. Um, we know that across the country, even without gerrymandering, states where Democrats are concentrated in cities and uh, Republicans dominate the rural areas, that kind of, there, there's a sort of a built-in Republican advantage there, even without the crazy gerrymanders. Um, so it's not like every Republican would lose their seat, but, but the way gerrymanders work, 
everybody, everybody there is um, all the Republicans, all their districts are based on that gerrymander. So even if they would still have winnable districts, they would have very different districts. And, and so it's, it's, it's existential for them. So I don't, I don't, I, I, you know, I, I don't know what they would do. And obviously the other thing to keep in mind here is that Wisconsin is still an extreme swing state and the, the, uh, state Supreme court being, uh, attacked, you know, having one, having uh, the newest justice, um, having her election invalidated could be a pretty big deal in the 2024 presidential election. You know, um, that's a, that's a, that's a, that is a, um, that's a real thing. So there you go. It's, it's, I don't, I don't know. And it, it really, um, it really is an example, which is what you said before that we are used to, we're used to everybody fighting hard and even fighting dirty to get what they want, but you know, you lose the election and, and you lose the election. And we've seen that even in the most ultimate sense that after 2020, that's not really how it works anymore. Right. Um, but, but beyond that, you would think there was a sense of, okay, you, you, you got this gerrymander, you used it for 10 years, you, um, you stack the deck in every way and a bummer for you, but you lost the Supreme Court election. And now you've got a Supreme Court, state Supreme Court that doesn't like the gerrymander. You would think that that, you know, there'd be a lot of gnashing of teeth and maybe you fund a lot of people looking into every aspect of this woman's background. You know, maybe she had a DUI where she ran someone down and she needs, you know, kind of looking for anything. But when there's not anything, you just say, well, that gerrymander was so good. I'm just going to remember it in my heart forever. But no, I mean, like, even though she was just elected, then it was just impeach her. And I mean, not to make the obvious point, but like, she is the, she is the member of that Supreme Court of all of them who has the most legitimacy right now. It's the most recent election. Not to say the other elected ones are illegitimate, but they're, you know, uh, they've got a Dubai date, right? And it's pretty soon. So it, there are kind of just no limits in, in, in Republican politics today. And that's, that's the world that we live in. Yeah. I mean, I, the summary of everything we've talked about today is just for Republicans, it's, you know, heads I win, tails you lose. Yeah. And anything yeah. else is just unacceptable. Yeah. No, that, that, is, that is exactly it. And uh, I guess that's all we have for today. Yep. Um, and as you know, uh, we'll be back next week with another uh, edition of the podcast, unless there is some breaking news that will pop in with an Instapod to give you an update on stuff. And that is it for this week. And all uh, right. talk to you soon. See you next week. Bye-bye. The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song, and thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe wherever you listen.